We only have two days left of our 40 days of prayer. And God is blessing. Some of the things He's done we've seen and some of the things He's done we have not seen. But in heaven we will be able to see. I'm inviting you as you're able this evening to join us at 6.30 and then linger for our Vespers at 7. And then tomorrow night, the 40th day. God has been good. Let's pray. Father, you've heard our songs of praise. We've petitioned and praised you. We have brought our offerings. Now, Lord, I pray, warm our hearts. Help us to understand what a great and awesome deliverer you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, we are celebrating the communion service. I've entitled my sermon, Beyond the Reach of Evil, Eternal Celebration. Take your Bibles and turn to our Scripture reading in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. All of the Gospel writers record the story of Jesus in the upper room. John gives us the most complete picture. Matthew and Mark tend to reflect similar facts and actions. And Luke gives us a phrase that none of the rest of the Bible writers include. And this morning I want to focus on this phrase. Luke chapter 22, looking at verse 14. Now, before we read verse 14, in my Bible, I have to turn the page. I just want you to go over and look at verse 24. I want this to be picture framed the right way. On that Thursday night, I just want you to know everything was not well in the little church of Jesus. It says, and there arose a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. On this earth, there are going to be challenges. The biggest ones are how to relate to each other. In that room that night were gathered at least 13 people. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. From before time and eternity, God creating creatures with free will in His image who could freely choose to worship and who could freely choose not to, understood that that privilege could create a crisis. In preparation for that crisis, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had predetermined a solution that would explain the mysteries, the recesses, the deep inner secrets of who God was. 
God revealed in his magnanimous nature with beneficence and kindness ruling the universe appeared not to be enough for one angel. His name was Lucifer. And slowly Lucifer came to the place where he did not even know God. Christ now, at the end of four millennia of human history, has been walking the planet for 33 and a half years. He has been with his little church for over three of those years. And he has spoken time and time again about his coming suffering. And they don't want to hear about it. Peter has pulled him aside at one point in time and said, you need to stop talking like that. And Jesus said, no, you need to stop. And now on the eve, within hours, he will be beaten and whipped and made naked and hung on a tree. And yet he can come to this Thursday evening with a squabbling little church that's still arguing about whether or not they can get to the same place Satan wanted to go, although, of course, they don't see it quite like that. The elemental issue of humanity surrounds the centrality of self, of me. And in this moment, those disciples still can't hear Jesus. But he says it anyway. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. How could you march to Mount Calvary knowing that you will be abandoned and denied and betrayed? How can you march up into the home that evening, sit down, recline at the table, and say, to this little group whom you've sought to reach but have resisted the elemental essence of your kingdom. They have resisted the dynamic of your humility. They have resisted the fact that you're willing to be nothing in order that they might have a future. How can you say, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you? Now I want you to understand, when you look at these silver trays, that this morning we are celebrating the Passover. Some 1,500 years before, when Moses had given direction that they should gather in their homes and with the hyssop put the oil, put the blood on the sides and the top of the doorpost, the Israelites with their staff in their hand had gathered as nine plagues had played their way out. The tenth one would inflict a liberating compulsion on their community. Ellen White tells in a rather unique way and unusual to her writings the story of a legend. So when she includes it, there must be some credibility to it, but she tells the story of a little girl who was sick. She was one of the children of the children of Israel. And as she lay in her bed on the eve of the Passover, she called her daddy to her bedside and said, Daddy, are you sure there's blood on the doorpost? Yes, honey. Yes, daughter. I'm sure. I have directed the servant to place it there. We've sacrificed the lamb, and there is blood on the doorpost. You just lay here and rest. 
and you'll be okay. But she could not rest. She laid there in fitful sleep for a while and woke up and said, Daddy, come here. Are you sure there's blood on the doorpost? And later in the night, as time moved towards the darkest hour, towards the midnight of their deliverance and the execution of judgment on the oppressors of God's firstborn, Israel, she woke up and she said, Daddy, are you sure there's blood on the doorpost? She said, Daddy, I want to see it. He scoops her up in his arms. He walks her through that little Hebrew home. He steps outside and turns around only to his horror to see that the lamb has been slain, but there is no blood on the doorpost. Quickly he finds the hyssop in the blood and applies it. This morning, friends, the application from the writings of Ellen White is such that what has been provided is our privilege to claim for ourselves. It is putting our lives beyond the reach of evil. As Lucifer's evil hand sought to reach into the hearts and the homes of those children of Israel, it was limited in where it could go because of the deliverance of one who would and could and did pay the price. You see, if the devil had his way, the blood would flow freely forever. Our lives, even the lives of those Egyptians, every human being on earth, is living under the goodness of limitations put in place by God. But on that night, the borders were decided by the owners of the homes. When Jesus comes up to that Passover moment, He's anticipating the deliverance of the world. He's anticipating the deliverance of His people. Jesus can come to this hour knowing that what has been symbol and promise is about to become reality and foundation for a completely new experience and hope in Christ. There is a journey to this table, and on the way, God wants to make sure we understand who He is. Take your Bibles and turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I want to focus for a moment on the foot washing. You Adventists are unique. You, amongst the myriad Protestant denominations, almost you exclusively, wash each other's feet. Why? John chapter 13. There's something about this washing of feet. I want you to understand in the communion service today, there is no blood. We have the unleavened bread representing the strength and sustenance of God to be made strong, to be made able to receive from heaven that which grows us into citizens of heaven. And we have the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood. But there is no actual blood here today. That blood would cease when Jesus' blood would flow. Today we're celebrating a bloodless Passover. It is bloodless because of the commitment of Christ to embrace the whole of fallen humanity, to gather all of his sins to himself, to carry the burden of the world suspended between heaven and earth, to take my sin, which I should have bled for, and your sin, which the devil would love to make you bleed for. Jesus bore that burden to the cross, and in the washing of the feet, we experience the cleansing power of the blood. Jesus is transitioning the service from that 
of a sacrifice to that of a celebration. And I want you to see it. It's a better celebration than you might have known. It says in verse 3, Jesus knowing, this is John 13, that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper. And he laid aside his garments and making a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and he said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus, without missing a beat, said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter, of all the twelve, the first to speak, was able to articulate the hesitation and the discomfort of the moment. It was a collision of two worldviews. King as power or king as servant. And he had not released the one frame or paradigm to embrace the other yet. But he knew in the economy and society of which he was in, Jesus was not the one. The roles were in reverse. And while he was not offering to wash the feet of Christ, he was resisting the washing by Jesus. The Greek more appropriately says, I believe, Lord, you're not washing my feet. Are you? Jesus will not back up one moment from this encounter, this conflict, because at the heart of the encounter is the joy of the celebration. It's a little bit like it was in Egypt 1,500 years before this moment, when on that same night the anguish of loss and the anticipation of liberty was just before the nation of Israel. It is a bittersweet moment. And with every communion we celebrate, there is some element of those combined components. There's a side of us that is uncomfortable with the the knowledge of our human nature and sometimes a a quick look or a more in-depth look at our record in life, our thoughts and our actions. And Peter can at least articulate that things aren't quite right even though he doesn't know how to fix them. But Jesus does. And he says, Peter... You don't understand. There's a lot of people who don't understand what's going to go on here today. My hope is that they understand better when we separate to do as Jesus did. In heaven, Satan had had a chance to repent of his evil. He had a chance to declare the legitimacy of God's government, but he refused to bow the knee to the legitimacy of the sovereignty of God. When Satan came to this earth, he thought that he would separate humanity from its creator. He did not understand the nature of God. From the moment that sin happened, Jesus arrived in the garden to say, they are your bondservants, but they are not sold to you as slaves. They can choose still to follow me. That choice was provided by the blood. That choice was the promise of a of a sacred sacrifice. And while represented by the lamb and the bull 
and the goat. Jesus was here to make a fuller provision and anchor in history that which had been promised for millennia. Simon had not been willing, but Jesus was unwilling to deviate from his plan. Jesus said to him, verse 10, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. And I want you to think about this next phrase especially. You are clean, but not all of you. Of the twelve men whose feet would be washed, held in the hands of the creator of the universe, there was ambition, there was pride, they were unconverted men. But one was in direct rebellion and refusal of submission to the lordship of his master, that was Judas. But I, want, I do not want you to miss this moment as Jesus is kneeling there washing the man's feet who will deny that he ever met Jesus. Jesus, by divine fiat, by gift from heaven, by representation of the typology of the Lamb and its blood, and by the assurance that he would go all the way through and, and die for Peter, is declaring as he holds Peter's dirty foot in his hand and washes it, you are clean. Every one of those men would run away. But Jesus was giving them assurance that the presence of His life in their life was sufficient to create in time what He could create in a moment. And He declared them as He declared the six days of creation. He said it and it was so, even though they had not yet come to see themselves as they really were. Listen, friends, five years from now, you're going to see things about yourself you've never seen before. Ten years from now, there's going to be epiphanies, these little moments when all of a sudden you realize that was motivated by this and I didn't see it. Be of good courage, friends. The covering of the robe of Christ's righteousness, the cleansing power of His blood is sufficient to declare you clean as a child of God even as He is working out the complete restoration of His own nature in yours throughout the rest of your life. And nobody should go into this this morning without understanding that Christ is proclaiming again as He proclaimed each of those six days, you are clean. What an awesome gift to give. Your salvation is not hanging in the balance of your performance. Your salvation is safe in the arms of Jesus. Your life is in those nail-pierced hands. You are a child of God. If you're in rebellion against God, you could fall into the category of the one who refused the cleansing. But if you're just like Peter who gets ahead of yourself and can't see your motivations and really doesn't want the cross, you want the crown, be of good courage. Christ understands you. He made you. You're his child and he pronounces you in this service today through the application of the blood and the reception of his spiritual power in the bread. I am sufficient, you are clean, and what I have begun I can finish. This service has its bittersweet moments because we come to it at times realizing that I need to make something right with somebody else. My own heart is tainted with a root of bitterness or evil surmising. 
This service is an amazing service when we consider that the squabbles that preceded it and maybe followed it were about climbing on top of each other to make sure when Jesus got this thing worked out, we'd be in the A1 prime position. Yes, they had just come. This week had been an amazing one from a a Sunday of celebration and, and palm leaves and Hosanna to a moment within hours, Jesus will be prostrate on the ground shedding great drops of blood. But there's one more thing I want to bring to your attention before we close. Go back to the book of Luke, chapter 22. One more thing you cannot forget, you cannot miss, you cannot go away from today without a sense of encouragement. Verse 17, Luke 22. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this. Share it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. So there is that catapulting of the children of Jacob out of literal Egypt. There is this amazing opening up of a flood of grace at the cross. And then there is finally the appearing of Christ in the eastern sky. And after we make a seven-day journey to heaven, we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And of the seven festivals that are celebrated in the Bible, we know that every time we go to a camp meeting, we're living out the experience of tabernacles. But I want to tell you, friends, one festival will be celebrated in time and eternity, and it will be the Passover. For this morning, we are celebrating a bloodless, but not lambless, Passover. And when Jesus serves us as we sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, He will be looking forward to drinking the fruit of the vine, which is the sweetness of the plan of salvation brought to a complete and successful finish. Glory, hallelujah, amen. This is what we celebrate today. It is celebrated in the past. The children of Abraham who were prophesied to go into bondage, liberated with the righteous right arm of God. It was celebrated in the hours before the cross. Jesus earnestly desiring to complete the work, to show the world, to show the universe. Satan didn't believe he'd go all the way down onto his knee. Satan didn't believe he'd allow the creatures to destroy him. Satan didn't believe he'd hang on that cross in abandonment because Satan didn't know God. But we have the privilege to know him and to serve him. Friends, three phases of Passover celebration. Liberation from Israel, from Egypt. Liberation from a wrong understanding of God. And finally, liberation from this planet. Ellen White writing in the book Education says, speaking of heaven, no tree of knowledge of good and evil will afford opportunity for temptation. No tempter is there. No possibility of wrong. Every character has withstood the test of evil and none are longer susceptible 
to its power. Listen, friends, were you there when they crucified the Lord? Yes, you were there. Take the time to go there again. The God of the universe was anxious to have this moment of communion with you so that you could know that He has made you clean. And so that you could know that when your human nature starts seeping back out because it's not all the way finished on the inside, that you could stay close to Him and His purifying love would keep doing what by fiat He's already done. He has pronounced you clean. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't go from this place today thinking anything different, but don't let anything intervene between you and Him. To know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to serve Him. And may God be glorified in our lives knowing that He has not only made us clean, but He is anticipating, celebrating the completion of salvation and redemption. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is worthy of our reflection, our prayerful contemplation. We don't deserve to be clean. We can't make ourselves clean, but we must receive what You have offered us. I'm praying, Lord, may we not be afraid. May we not focus on ourselves. May we understand that You pronounce us clean in the midst of our bad habits and poor genetic makeup. May we know that it's your love that both cleanses and is cleansing. And oh, how I pray, Lord, may we not let the world invade into the precious sphere of our walk in a communion with you. Bless this time we spend. May heaven look down and say, yes, they're just like Jesus. They'll take the lowest post. They'll suffer for love. They'll serve with their whole hearts. Help us to see who you are, Lord. And please, keep placing us beyond the reach of evil. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when we'll be at home with you. The great enemy of our happiness conquered. The great celebration of your gift received. Bless us now, though, as we take a foretaste and experience the joy of living with and for each other and with and for Jesus. Bless this communion service now as it goes forward, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we practice an open communion. That means people of any faith or little or no faith. Perhaps this is the beginning of your faith journey. You are welcome to participate. We do begin by washing each other's feet. The women meet in the room. You can see through this glass, this fellowship hall. The men meet downstairs underneath it in the youth room. Every other communion cycle, we celebrate this four times a year, we have a couple's room. And that is down in the early teen room. There's a long hallway right underneath this middle aisle here that runs just like you were walking out the back of the church. There's an early teen room there. That is for the couples. We will have gluten-free bread as part of our emblems. If you desire that, sit in that section when you come back. You don't have to sit in that section uh, it's not only uh, gluten-free bread being served there, but that is where gluten-free bread will be served. And we will gather back here after we've had a chance to pray and wash each other's feet and come back and celebrate the glorious provision of heaven to redeem us. We'll be separated at this time now.